Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I'm here again with my longtime friend and colleague, Nick Garvis. Nick, how are you doing? Doing pretty well, Al. How are you? I'm doing all right. I, I know we're at you know, approaching the end of April. It's been a long slog since you know, COVID-19 <laughs> came and the lockdown. And I see you've moved to Greece and are doing quite well. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, actually, you're in Minneapolis, full disclosure. And I hope you don't mind me sharing that. You know, whether it's variable, hopefully spring will come soon. But I mean, how are you doing? And uh, since we last talked, you're now with one model. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So doing well, all things considered. And joining one model was a, was a really a great change. I've known the team well for a while. I know their skills. I know their personalities. And I'm really thrilled to join them. So I joined it as a VP of People Analytics Strategy. So I'm, I'm supporting our customers with advisory, basically helping them to form their analytics strategies. Also working on some product enhancements, which you'll be hearing about more of those and and doing some uh, events like doing Pafau and doing some blogging and things like that. So it's a, it's a nice mix of a role and happy to be with the team. Well, I know they're fortunate to have you and they've been you know, plugging away for a number of years now, first as a small firm and you know, I've seen their growth and you know, obviously to attract someone like you is a big step for them. So congratulations to you. Congratulations to them. Now, one of the things that we have talked about recently is obviously with COVID-19 and everything that's going on, you know, workforce strategy and people analytics specifically informing that strategy has taken a high level of both visibility and influence. So, you know, given what you're seeing, you know, what are some of the just observations that you're seeing in the people and space right now? I think, I think the first thing is that the good thing is that they're being pulled in. So everybody I've spoken with in this space, and, I, and part of my job is to be in touch with folks and, and know where, where people are leading their organizations, people are being pulled in. That's good. So they're not on the sideline. They're an important part of figuring out the situation and understanding how to evaluate the different options for returning. So I'm having conversations and providing advice and, and thinking through some different ways of solving this with people. I think one of the things that I think is really evident in an area where most companies are going to need to put some effort is in the area of continuous listening. If you have been doing continuous listening, then you're going to have a, a culture that's ready to receive surveys with more frequency. If you're sitting back saying, oh, well, we can't, we just did a survey last week, we can't do one this week, man, you've got a lot to do because there's a lot of moving parts here. And right now, information from your employees is absolutely critical. And it starts with, are you okay? Are you working from home? Do you have what you need? What can we do to help you? I mean, that's like first wave as people disperse from the offices and from their workplaces. And again, we're talking about those who are fortunate, fortunate enough to be able to still work. You know, that's the things you need to know there, right? And then you can respond to that. But now just seeing the shift, and I've laid out some of these kind of phases in a, in a recent blog post. We're seeing the shift now where the analytics people are being engaged in how should we bring the workforce back and how are we going to know, you know, what to do? What are some of the workforce? And these are strategic decisions that, you know, people in our space are well-suited to support. 
you know, and I'll tell you where, where I'm landing on this is that the first thing you need to do is find out who can come back. Mm-hmm. Because before you think about, wow, maybe we should only bring half of the people back on Monday and Tuesday and the other half on Wednesday, Thursday and clean the place on Friday or whatever the, you know, whatever these solutions are. Problem is you need to know who can come back. If you say May 4th, would you be, so the survey that I have in mind is, would you be able to come back to work on May 4th? Yes or no. If you find out only mm-hmm. 20 people, 20% of the people can come back on May 4th, you don't have an overcrowding problem in the office. <laughs> so you don't even have to like start figuring out how to badge half the people in on different days and block the rest and stuff. So, and if you can't come back, why? And that might be because of childcare. It might be because you're sick yourself or somebody, you know, is, is somebody is sick. And then you can start to branch into what can we do for you? So there's a lot that I think that the, the information you need is going to be in week by week or every other week intervals. There's going to be some critical information that's going to help you to advise your organizations. That's where we're at right now. Yeah, I love what you're saying, because obviously it's a very human centric approach. And yeah, as opposed to just a discrete survey that you would do from a discrete survey tool and then lock that data in that technology, what you all are doing at one model is juxtaposing, say, that those asks relative to all kinds of data, not only within HR but also potentially operational, you mentioned facilities data, so you can get an idea of what is the appropriate response. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to blend that. And then if your objective is to maybe have only half of the people in, in, from any given team on site at any time just to, to reduce risk, then you have to understand, well, all the people in this team can come back, but we don't want all of them to come back. So you have to be able to quickly join up data from surveys with data from your HR system that tells you who reports to who and which location they're at and things like that in order to support the kinds of decisions that are needed right now. Yeah. This is really like in the, in the very near term, we'll, you know, eventually we'll come back towards something that starts to look more like where we were or something sort of normal-ish. You have been a very accomplished practitioner in the area of workforce planning. You're an influencer, thought leader in that discipline. And obviously now, when you talk about bringing people back to work, there's a number of scenarios that can unfold over time, not only in terms of bringing people back to work, but the structure of the workforce between contingent labor, outsource providers, employees, and so forth. There's obviously in some industries, employees being laid off or furloughed, yet, you know, there is going to be the wake of this thing. There are going to be some adjustments. So, you know, what are your thoughts on people analytics relationship with workforce planning here at this stage of the crisis? And what do you see forthcoming? People analytics and workforce planning are always kind of conjoined efforts. The need for the data in doing a decent workforce planning exercise is the data that you are sitting on in a people analytics organization. So there's certainly the relationship between there. I think that as we come back, or even as we're about to come back, the financial teams are going to be resetting expectations for what the shape of the organization's financial plan is, which is going to affect the amount that they're going to be able to invest in the team. That may mean a shift of something you know, with the contingent workforce as well. But if we stay with the, the direct workforce and we look at the workforce plan that's going to have to be reflected of that, workforce planning in a time of 
contraction. It's easy to grow. It's hard to contract, right? To contract smart. So as, as those plans are reset, you need to have a workforce plan because it's going to tell you the vectors that you need. This role, we're going to shrink more than this other one. This one, we are going to continue to grow. And if you have those, let's say, role by role plans, which is the basics of a, of a decent workforce plan, then you have the markers that you're aiming for. Mm-hmm. And if we said we're going to still grow our app developers and our UX designers by 15 this year, and we proceed and we're still staying flat or we're losing them, that would be a big red flag. In another area, if we said we're going to go down by 100 and we've only gone down by 10, that would be a different type of red flag. So vectors of direction and magnitude are the components of a workforce plan when we're talking about the numbers piece. The skills piece is a, is a different puzzle. I think the most important thing that's going to happen is on the sort of what I would say is the operational workforce planning, which is this is going to be a big change to budgets. It's going to be a big change to the size of teams. And that cannot just be done as a peanut butter approach. Mm-hmm. So engaging so from a workforce planning perspective is to engage the businesses on which roles are you going to grow and shrink and buy about how much, bringing that back into a system, blending it with the data you have, and then monitoring that as you proceed through the year toward, toward that future. So people know, are we getting to the place we said we were going to be at? It dawns on me as you're sharing this. We have long talked about workforce planning being part of a process, or in some cases, it needs to be its own process, you know, getting multiple stakeholders into a room from HR, facilities, IT, operations, you know, on down the line, and discussing, you know, what's the future state and, you know, what are the scenarios and and get there. But forming that group and sustaining that group has been a massive challenge. You know, I, I don't want to talk about this. I just need to get the job done right here, right now. Arguably, these task force that have been spun up all over you know, most organizations are, in effect, doing workforce planning. They're getting data. They're going through these scenarios. So now uh, the question to you is, do you see this happening like I just described? And if so, do you see these groups sustaining in the wake of the crisis where, you know, they're actually constantly scenario planning and and adjusting like the COVID-19 has actually caused the workforce planning process to be ignited. I mean, what are your thoughts there? I think the potential is there, but there's no guarantee. I think the potential is there because as I mentioned before, the people analytics leaders that I speak to are right into the heart of these issues in terms of figuring out where are the employees at now and doing the different surveys to figure out what's happening. They're there. They're in the kind of the crisis center, basically. So that means that coming out of it, they have the opportunity to say, look, we know that there is going to be a shift in the size of this place for a while. How are we going to execute it? We've got the data. We've got the analytical skills. We have the kind of consulting skills that are needed. We understand the business kind of jumping in. So you're already in the room, basically. Now you've got to have the value proposition to be, to be part of that on the planning side. Yeah. So you have to have the value proposition down. It's like, why are we going to do this? Why are we going to think through it this way? To me, look, the size and shape of the workforce is going to be a little bit different. Okay, we all agree on that. And I talk about 501 in terms of you know, workforce planning being five years out. This is a whole lot different. This is just, what do we need to be at? 
you know, five months out, what do we have right now? What are we going to do in the next month? So it's maybe I can still use 501, yeah. but it's like month to month. I mean, this is, we're, we're really down to a much smaller time frame. but I think you're right. The opportunity is there to set those processes with the right stakeholders. It's the same stakeholders set that emotion, come back to this more strategic conversation a little yeah. bit later then. Workforce planning is something that you and I, again, have been close to for a number of years. And one of the things that has been lacking is the skills data. Now there is quite a bit of skills data in the open marketplace. Even organizations have done a better job of identifying skills. And, you know, again, there's this external data that can be acquired and published in one model, for example, to to give a different picture of the workforce. So what do you see happening with the use of skills, particularly as we start to redesign our organizations? You know, what do you see, again, happening there, if, if, if at all? This is happening. I mean, because organizations before this, and, and they will continue after this, needing to understand the skills transformation. The world is changing a lot faster than the workforce is going to change by itself. You need to be in an upskilling stance if you're doing any sort of digital transformation, et cetera. So I think that where this is going to be playing out, I just spoke to a, a friend of ours that we both know with, who works at NASA. We're talking about the application of artificial intelligence into discerning of the skills that are in the workforce. And some of that's for developing you know, career opportunity algorithms and things like that that'll help the employees. But if you put that into the workforce planning frame, it's the same, it's the same thing. You're using yeah. the information you're gathering. So I think that where we're going to end up is AI is going to be a key piece of this because it is just really complicated to pull skills out. We don't have, the, you know, building a skills taxonomy and, and, and having every job go through that. I just don't think that works. And I think if it works, it only works for about a month and it's outdated and it gets progressively worse. So we need to have this, the, the AI piece. So with the kind of skills that we have in AI and ML, we'll start to point those into the skill space as we refine that because the workforce planning has got the, you know, it's a numbers and skills thing. It's a combination of those. And the AI piece works for the, you know, the projections that you need, not just on the demand side, but also on the supply side in terms of your, you know, talent movement projections and attrition projections. But then on the skills side, you need to match those things up and you can start to discern which roles need to grow and then where the emerging skills in each role and bang that against the employees you have and the skills that you can discern from the information that they, you have about them. So yeah, that's where I think it's going to be. You know, as you're talking and let's say I'm a CHRO, everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. And there's a part of it when you talk about AI and skills, it's like, all right, that's probably getting a little uncomfortable for me in terms of how the data is structured. And, <laughs> but I sense, if not firmly believe that I need it because the way I am trying to plan now in the absence of such insight is a lot of guesswork, which means risk for the business, risk for HR, risk for me as a HR leader. Yeah. So my question to you is, if I am in an organization and I do not have one model, for example, to aggregate this data, analyze it, publish it, run AI on it, 
where do I get started? Why do I prioritize a one model solution and you know working with Nick as an advisor over just waiting for my HR system to get implemented or upgraded or or potentially even prioritizing something else? I mean, what's why should one model be prioritized in this equation in that scenario? Yeah, I think that this is about risk and opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's there's risk to not do anything, but there's a great opportunity to be you know, leading in your industry. And I don't mean leading in the HR industry. I like to say there's no prize for best function, right? So this is about leading in your, whatever the industry of your business is to be, you know, successful in there is going to require moving faster than your competition on a whole bunch of fronts, including the talent front. So I don't think there's a compelling case to staying still. I also think that it's a very difficult space for the do-it-yourself solutions. I think there's, you know, you you look at, um, you know, we don't build our own phones, right? We just we we buy them for a reason because they've got just gobs of IP that's built into them, and that's that's what you get when you when you talk about AI solutions that are tuned into this problem set that we're dealing with in terms of people analytics and workforce planning. When you look at that, it doesn't make any sense to to build what's already been kind of figured out. Again, we don't. There's a lot of stuff that we just choose to to buy that embedded kind of IP. And I think it, it, it's not just on the AI side, because that stuff's pretty advanced in terms of very few people are going to build that on their own. But on the data ingestion side, in terms of how data is pulled off of multiple systems and blended coming off of the back of a system like Workday or something like that, and then putting it with you know spreadsheets of performance ratings and some comp data that came had to come out of the payroll system, perhaps, and survey data and the business data, the sales data, sales force data, and so on. All that blending, sure, a lot of firms can do that on their own. It's just not their core business. And it's if it can be done through the type of ingestion process that we have, that stuff comes in really fast. So it's able to turn it around. To me, that just means that your data analytics team, instead of having like, you know, five data engineers, can have you know one or zero, and then a people analytics team can have a whole lot more impact. I mean, as a team, you're supposed to deliver value in the analytics that you're delivering, and there's no you know like almost like there's no prize for best function. There's no prize for best database in a company. That's just I've never heard of it. <laughs> uh, so so a team that's like totally mastered all this data and created this awesome data warehouse doesn't mean anything in terms of you know, the success of the business is, can you get from data to decisions and action faster? And again, no prize along the way for, you know, for getting to the aid station and with your database, that's only partway through. I appreciate what you're saying a lot because you and I have both been in the weeds and wrestling with data and also more downstream and trying to affect change. So I want to take off of that point you just made and looking at the process because you are doing people analytics strategy and it causes me to recall a conversation I had with Chris Butler, founder and CEO of One Model, where so many companies don't have a data strategy or an analytics strategy. They're just kind of making it up as they go. And so what I'm hearing embedded in what you were just saying is that if we come in with an analytics strategy, these are the stories that we want to tell. These are the analyses we want to do. That's in turn going to inform what data is required and arguably what technology should be required to generate that data. 
is that what you're looking at when you partner is helping coach along that process so they actually get that prize for best database? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm joking on that part, but you, you know, that they actually have a database that works for them and they're yes. not working well, for the it's, database. It's a user experience and a platform that works for them. It's not that the database has to be there, but it's the, yeah. it's what you're doing with the stuff on top. So yeah. I would say they would bring in a level of design thinking around the roles and the personas that are involved. So a persona being, let's say, an HR business partner, you design the environment so that an HR business partner can enter that and get at least a few clicks deep into that data without having to be, you know, somebody who's understands pivot tables and things like that. You don't, you don't want to have that level of background required to make progress. So that's a design element. And so that allows them to move faster and through more data. And then when they do have to come to the analytics team with some questions, they're much richer questions mm-hmm. because they've been able to navigate a few clicks through, filter some things. There's, you know, with uh, guided insights embedded into the solution. So that's, that's some of what, you know, I think is a, is a big value add and is an important consideration all along the way. So we really think hard about these personas and how they're interacting with it. And one of the personas is the people analytics team themselves, obviously, the data scientists. There's also the business leader. I mentioned the HR business partner. There's recruiting leaders. All of these personas have different needs and you have to design this platform. So so you might get a prize for the best user experience. And that's built on the work that the team did in the database. But nobody needs to know about that. That's for the people analytics team to, to really understand. Yeah, I, I love that you're talking about personas and design thinking because that's a, a narrative that has been tangentially out there for a while, but it's becoming core to how we think about data and experience management. So certainly celebrate that. And when we talk about personas, just to toggle as we start to wrap up here, you're a, a, a cyclist. And so <laughs> what comes to mind as you're talking about that, if you're going to go out for a 200 mile ride, which for you is a little skip in the park, um, what I'm saying is you have to pace yourself. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. You think about the terrain, you think about where you're going to go hard, where you're going to you know, lay off a bit. Is that kind of some of the coaching and forgive me if I'm stretching the metaphor too far, mm-hmm. but you know, is that kind of how to think about it? understand where you're going, understand where you're going to have some challenges, where you're going to be able to sprint a bit? Yeah. Yeah. I think there, I mean, there's, look, there's, there's a bit of, you know, you have to know your pace and know the velocity that your organization, not just you and your team, but the velocity that you can get your organization to. And as you're, you're pacing that out, that is about the data you're going to bring in, of course, and what you're going to build. But that's, that's basically like, that's like your bike, right? Yeah. And the, the hills and everything, that's all the change management that you're going to have to deal with. And so you need to know the landscape of change that you are embarking on. Mm-hmm. I swear we didn't practice this analogy in advance. It's working. Let's go. We're <laughs> going with it. So, so but the, 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 the changes that you're going to have to encounter, you're going to have to react to these things, some of them unknown, but you, you have to be, you have to have a, a, a thoughtful long view on what kind of change you're trying to achieve. And ultimately, you're trying to change the way the organization is thinking about this dimension of their data, the the people dimension of their business and how they're making decisions. And so as you go at that, you you must have a long view 
because there are going to be a lot of challenging moments along the way. And if you make the wrong bargains at step two and three, you don't get to step 50. Yeah. So you end up like way, way off course. And, and that's the thing that I think that comes with experience and experience can be borrowed. It doesn't have to be perpetually sitting inside your organization. So that's one of the things I enjoy quite a bit is yeah. partnering with organizations to help them uh, think through and understand a little bit of the linkage effect between choices today and the, the connection to the end vision. I love what you're saying. It makes me reflect on a criticism that I get sometimes from, hey, oh, it's too complicated. There's, and I'm like, hey, I'm trying to do my best to simplify it, but there are a lot of aspects to this work. And if we just ignore them or shortchange them, we're not going to get where we're going to go. We're going to stumble. We're going to, you know, so is that how you think about it as well? I mean, there is this kind of a systematic thinking required, yeah? Yeah, but it's it's systematic in that it takes in a lot of different inputs, but it's not the same answer in any two situations. Right. So it's really, it's really about a, you know situational, integrative thinking about this. And and look, I don't want to overcomplicate it and make it sound like it's some kind of really ridiculously complex science. It, it's really about anticipating behavior of the organization you're in, understanding the levers and intolerance levels for change. Mm -hmm. and, and then connecting to the places where you're going to be able to add the most value. So you're, it's really about reading the situation and then navigating through that. You know, coming back to technology and things like one model is a way to move you along faster so you can spend more of your time thinking about and navigating the change rather than, again, you know, being a part-time data engineer as you try to accomplish all of these, what are really complicated moves through your organization as you're trying to, to shift them. Just to summarize that for me, it's like having the willingness, ability to learn. Then it begs the question, what are you learning about? You know, is it tangential or is it, you know, kind of deep, confident, inspiring insight and then taking appropriate action. Yeah. 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 Got it. Well, love it. Hey, uh, Nick, as we wrap uh, can we get the cyclist picture of you in the background? For those. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that. Can you toggle there quickly? <laughs> uh, I, I think I can put up a cycling picture in the background. Just there you go. That, Is that, that you? Or are, are you beating uh, the horse there? I'm, I'm the horse. But, and just uh, for those who are listening, winning against the horse, not beating the horse. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, hey, uh, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about One Model? You know, best thing is to go to onemodel.co. That's onemodel.co. You know, go to the blogs. I'm, I'm, I'm contributing to the blogs there. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Reach out. To, you know, my, my job is to, is to help, you know, further this space at large, you know, people analytics. And I'm here to help. And I'm also, as you know, Al, here to learn always, always learning. And that's why I have a lot of conversations with people. And I, I really enjoy that aspect of this space and how collaborative it's been. And that's how you and I got to know each other. And, and it's yeah. been a great journey. Likewise. And yeah, super appreciate what you have been doing for the broader community for a number of years now. And again, congratulations on joining One Model. Thanks for sharing today and hope to get on the road with you soon. Hope the weather eases up there in Minneapolis, you get some good rides in. So uh, thanks yeah. for joining. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Al. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.